millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive & June. Olive & June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive & June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive & June, too, is it's a quick dry. It dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hi, I'm Megan Gilger, and welcome to the Fresh Exchange Podcast. Welcome, my friends. I hope that you are having a lovely week, and I am. I am. We had a very warm, very exciting warm weekend, which we cannot deny is wonderful. After so many cold days, it can feel extremely nice to have those warm days pop up. But nevertheless, we are still in the north and it's still spring. So we still got a little bit of time before it's consistent, but I'll take it when I can get it. We all will. And it felt very good. Everything felt like it just like was happy right along with us. So I'm feeling thankful. Today, I am very excited to talk about this because I did a podcast last, I believe it was spring or early summer, where I discussed the positives of growing a garden with your kids. You can look it up. It's in the show notes. I linked to it. It's a great episode as well. But, and it talks about some of the like human connection of soil and kids and like, it's kind of like all the reasons why I'm going to touch on that today. But I think when, well, let me put it this way. A lot of people ask me, how can I get my kids interested in eating fresh food? How can I get my kids understanding seasonality of food? And there is one, and even some people have asked me, how do I connect with seasonality of food. And there's a couple answers to that. And we're going to go over that next month. We're going to talk about 
local eating and seasonal eating. And we're going to dive deep into that. I'm going to talk about a bunch of different topics. We're going to suggest books. It's going to be a lot of fun. But the one thing I always tell people is start a garden with your kids. Start a garden. I My first experience in the garden was when I was five years old. My grandfather, and I have a whole episode about that, my grandfather was the one that inspired that for me. And so I understood gardening and food and seasonality and all of that because of him, because he took the initiative to start a garden with me. My parents did later on when I was in high school and things like that, we did it. And then later on, when I came out of college, I was very inspired to start my own garden. But that was after all this influx of experiencing it myself. And so today I'm going to talk through just why this is so important if you are a parent or if you're not, maybe you are an aunt or uncle and you have your nieces and nephews coming over sometimes or a neighbor kid that you're helping watch or anything like that. If you are involved in kids' lives, I think the one massive impact we can make is just starting and growing things with them. It's such a simple thing, but when we connect to nature, there's so many benefits. And the easiest way, the most gateway drug, so to speak, (laughs) into that is to have a garden and to be exposed to it. And when we are, it is so easy to grow in ourselves in that connection and more. Before we jump in though, I have our sponsor for this month. So let's jump in. Starcut Cider's award-winning Pulsar Cider is our sponsor this month. And I have to say, this is one of my favorite ciders. It is one of the many, like many ciders that I love here, but this is definitely one of my top ones. It's one of the canned ones that I can easily grab at the store and at my favorite beverage shops. And it's made by the amazing Schwartz Brewing Company, if you didn't know. And if you don't know Schwartz Brewing Company, you should go check them out. They have so many great beers, but they're here in Northern Michigan in this area. And the reason I love Pulsar is that this is one of the only ciders in Michigan you can find canned using 100% Michigan sourced apples. In fact, most come from the Peterson Farm in Shelby, Michigan. Because of the way they create their cider, there's only one gram of sugar in it, which is amazing for ciders since most have almost 20 grams. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Which means this is also key why it's one of my favorites is that it is very dry and they actually use fermented Pinot Noir yeast in their process. So it is a really great everyday cider that I love to grab when I'm at the store. And so you're going to hear a lot about it this month because they are, we're looking always for amazing sponsors that we believe in and Pulsar and Starcut and Shorts is one of them here. In fact, It's one of the first things we grab at the store, so it should be no surprise. But if you want to learn more about the offerings that Starcut Ciders have, they have a lot of other flavors, but Pulsar is my favorite. You can head to their website at starcutciders.com. Okay, so first of all, we're going to start with why grow a garden with your kids or kids that you're around, whether you're a teacher. I also suggest this if you're a teacher. I know we all have a lot going on, but I know that it there's a lot of really amazing programs that are great for teachers, but you can also do this in your classroom. I know that there are teachers that teach lessons in the spring 
with growing plants and things like that. Just windowsill gardens can make a huge difference in teaching these ideas. So I don't want you guys to think that whether you're a parent, teacher, anything like that, that to do this, you need multiple raised beds. You need like land, you need all of that. No, sometimes just growing things in a windowsill is more than enough to expose kids to this idea. So we're going to talk about the benefit, like the reasons why, and then I'm going to go into some tips to do it because it can feel really overwhelming to think about it, but these tips is really to help you like feel more relaxed with it and kind of, you know, I don't know, find a simpler way to do it. So let's just jump in with why. So the best reason that I love about this, and like I've kind of already mentioned, is it is the best way to connect kids to seasonality and food. So our food right now for most kids, they think that it comes from a grocery store. Many adults think this too. And so they don't even know what a potato plant looks like when it's growing potatoes. They don't know what it looks like for peanuts to grow. They don't know what it looks like for a tomato to even grow. And so, or beans, or the list goes on. And it's absolutely incredible to see these experiences, to see where our food comes from. And when we see that, we create a deeper connection to our food, a deeper passion for nature and for all these things. And in fact, just recently I was reading in We Are What We Eat by Alice Waters. And she quoted, I'm just going to read a little bit from it. She said, um, and it was kind of part of, let me find it really quick. Um, Hold on. Okay. So Wendell Berry says, stewardship connects you to place. When you see, when you are a steward, you are not a visitor. You get to know a place, take care of it. Without stewardship, we are placeless. And I love that because it stewardship is talking about tending. It's talking about caring. And when we are caring for plants and watching them grow and we understand how they grow, we then create a devotion, a passion, and a love for the very land and soil under our feet whether or the land and soil that we're caring for that is growing our food, the very thing that's sustaining us. And so I have a deep passion for children in particular connecting to a garden because this passion then is ignited into memories at a young age and there's nothing that can deny that that's powerful. And so there's a lot of studies about it, but Alice Waters is a wonderful contributor to this idea with creating the creation of the edible schoolyard program, which is all over the country. And so it's a really fascinating program that she's built with this very idea. And so I just always say, like, if you can do that one thing as a parent, as anyone that's involved with kids to just bring that into their life is a really powerful thing. And so I think it's a really awesome way (laughs) to build this connection so early on and to tend to something is something very, very powerful. So, and you understand seasonality with food, which I think is incredibly important because we have such a disconnection from it, which we'll talk about next month. But, um, the next thing is, is that when you grow things with your kids or with children that you are around, it builds connection. So the very, and I talked about this in that other pod is that the very connection or very scent of soil releases oxytocin and oxytocin is the chemical or hormonal reaction that happens when, you know, a mother produces milk or after, or when you hug somebody or it, 
<laughs> in many ways, people see, and I think this is in braiding sweetgrass, I think I quote it in there, that soil is a way, it is the earth is, it's the smell and that release of hormones is how the earth is connecting to us. And so when we, in proximity, are experiencing growing things together, that oxytocin experience binds us in this very unseen, unfelt, other than chemical, hormonal way that we can create a deeper connection. So this can actually help siblings connect, friends connect, parents connect, all of that by just growing things together, being out in the soil, the smell of the soil. So it's a really powerful tool to build relationship. It's also the best way to get your kids to actually eat vegetables. Um, a lot of people always ask me like, how do I get my kids to eat vegetables? Well, my kids aren't always amazing at eating vegetables when I cook them. Um, in fact, they, they spend more time avoiding them <laughs> than they do eating them <laughs> um, or being disgruntled about them. But the moment they're out in the garden in the summer and they're they they just are devouring vegetables. They walk through the garden and they're just eating it. And so all the more reason we do not use pesticides, we do not use those things. Our garden is incredibly free of those things in every capacity. But the <laughs> the amount of vegetables that they will eat in the summer suffices for the lack of them that they eat in the winter. Um, but it all has to do with the garden. It all has to do with them just seeing them and doing it in experiencing them. And it's just that garden of Eden sort of idea where it's like that red cherry tomato, how can you deny it? It needs to be consumed. Um, and in fact, my two-year-old would just consume every tomato <laughs> if I wasn't careful. So it is an incredible way to get them out into a space where they feel encouraged and excited about eating vegetables. Plus it gives them a way, and we'll talk about this as a tip, to see and experience these vegetables in a new way. And like my son, he now can identify different plants by what they look like. And he can identify his food by what it, because he knows what it looks like when it grows in the garden, herbs, things like that. And he's more willing to try them because it's, it's an experiment in texture and color and all of that. So the next and final thing is you get them connected to the soil. And I know we talked about like that hormonal thing, but connection to the soil is really important because soil is our livelihood. It is everything that we need. Um, it filters our water. It, you know, it does so many things and we've degraded and taken such poor care of our soil. And we're now seeing the repercussions of that. And I think if you can get kids understanding what soil is, what it should look like, what it should smell like, and what it is to have strong soil that you're growing from, they can understand the depths of why it is so important, which creates that devotion that te that tending and stewardship does as well. So, and plus it's, you know, good for their immune system, supposedly, and, you know, things like that, that I'm not exactly accredited to say, but it is definitely something that you want, you can instill in them an understanding and an appreciation and a connection that will carry with them for years to come. But so this is all great and wonderful, right? <laughs> How do you actually do this? And I think the biggest thing that people always talk about with me is like, okay, I have a garden. 
and, but my kids just feel like they destroy it or they, you know, it's such a work and patience. Like it doesn't look perfect and it doesn't, you know, (laughs) first of all, let's take, we have to take, that's my biggest tip. You got to just remove the perfection idea. The kids are going to trample the flowers. They're going to rip out a plant. They're going to dump out your potted, the seedlings that you've been growing. They're going to completely rename, take all the name tags out and rearrange them. They're going to do all those things. They're going to completely just explode your organization systems. I know from experience because that happens to me and it, how I do this for work and then also have my children involved is exactly how I've just released complete perfection in my life. Um, (laughs) because there's no way that I could do this. I mean, even today, like trying to up pot things and my two-year-old, like trying to rename everything and draw all over the tags. And like, I honestly don't know what tomatoes are, what by the time they actually get in the ground, it's going to be a great surprise it's a great lesson in just embracing those things, you know? So I really suggest as my first tip, just don't try to perfect it. Just let it go and just give them that space because you don't want them to feel that your garden is, that the garden is off limits, that it is some space that has a lot of rules. You want them to feel loose and childlike in that because they are children and it allows you that ability too. because when you have even a garden full of weeds, it can still feel absolutely incredible. So it's not about perfect. It never has been. It never will be. So why try to add that as an extra layer and make something that is, and make something not fun anymore. The other thing is to let them have their domain in a and to kind of meet their age in that. Um, what I mean by having their own domain is give them a box, give them a bed that is all theirs and don't try to control that for them. Let them as, you know, other than what feels age appropriate. For instance, I've always had my son, like when he was about three, I had him like, I gave him a box in our garden. He knows it's his. And the first year it was just strawberries. And then we kind of expanded it into something else. And um, he now has a bigger box because of it, but he knew it was his box that first year. And he said that he wanted strawberries. And so that's all we planted. We just planted strawberries. And I finally removed those strawberries and they moved on to a different place. And now he has a larger bed. And last year he created a whole book when he was at home um, with us. And he created this whole like, garden design about how we wanted purple tomotillos. And we went through the seed packets and seed catalogs and everything. And I just kind of, I didn't step in unless he asked for suggestions or, you know, what do you think of this? And I many times would just say, you know what, I think it's going to be a fun experiment or, you know, it'd be interesting to see how that goes. And because it is all an experiment, I can give whatever thoughts I have, but it doesn't, (laughs) he ultimately, it's his space. It's his opportunity to explore and be independent. And so this year he created a design and then our two-year-old, I just drew a square box and let her draw on it. And I'm keeping these because it's like this story and I see how it evolves over the years. Like last year, our son couldn't write 
you know, the names of the plants. And this year he wanted to practice writing the names of the plants off of the seed packets that he chose. And so it, it's just showing that growth and evolution, but that's meeting their age. And so we talk about like filling in the soil bed, like filling the soil and like how we prep the bed for soil or for the plants. And we add this soil and we put in compost and, you know, we do all of that together. And then I show, we pull out the seed packets and he takes them and they're in his bin and like with his design and we go out and he sees, oh, okay, I was thinking about putting carrots there. And then the other one, you know, I know that she likes carrots. So I put carrots in for, helped her make a spot to put carrots in and we seeded it together, you know, so I'm meeting their ages at different points, but also offering the opportunity for independence and connection and ownership of their own garden space. And I think this just, it does a lot of things, I think from an, you know, developmental idea. But for me personally, it allows them to kind of begin to have a passion and love for something that, and I, it's not, it's kind of like their thing as much as it's my thing. And so it, and it's something we can all do together. But I just love the fact that they feel independent, have ownership over it. And so, which is great. But all that to say, make sure that when you're thinking about this, not to have over expectations for them, um, have, try to have age appropriate expectations, but also let them show, guide you and show you and what they can do and what they can't do. And, you know, just kind of utilize that support system around them as they go through the process of learning. Um, the other one is that you want to create spaces in the garden that kind of, I think, create experiences for them. So this doesn't have to be a complicated thing. Basically, one of the things that we do is like our kids always love playing hide and seek, which also leads to the trampled flowers many times, but they like to play hide and seek in the garden itself. And so we, we have a sunflower wall where they can go and hide in in between things and cosmos in front of that that get really tall. And the whole combo of it all is really awesome for them because it creates this really awesome or just a really pure experience of being in nature. But then we also, I always do like an arch of sugar snap peas or cucumbers and they literally will go and like sit under it and just pick the peas and that's where I'm like, you know, I'm encouraging them to eat and they don't even realize it, <laughs> the amount of sugar snap peas that they have eaten because they just sit under that experience. So creating these little spaces that feel that way, which don't take a lot of effort, is a really great way to do that. Um, then there, I want you to also kind of going back to the control thing is to acknowledge for yourself as the person doing this with them, that they're going to ruin it. Like it's, it's just, just embrace it. Just say it now. Just like tell yourself it's going to be okay. You can always go get new starts. You can always plant more flowers. You can always seed more things. It's going to get ruined. It's going to fall apart <laughs> not all of it, but parts of it could. So, um, it isn't uncommon. And in fact, it's more common than not. I always say that my kids are the worst, like most damaging thing in the garden. It isn't like deer or rabbits or anything like that. There's no companion plant to keep 
my children from destroying my garden. <laughs> so it's just part of the process. It's how they learn. And it's ultimately like how we can connect. So the other thing that I suggest is you can choose like bigger seeds and plants that are easy for them to pick things off of that are more enticing. So um, some of these things are very easy to grow too. Many of them are connected to that whole idea of a beginner garden. So things like sugar snaps or any type of pea, um, bush beans or climbing beans, runner beans are really fun because they're, you know, you get a big experience out of them and you get a great harvest. Um, growing lettuces and different types of herbs. The herbs create different experiences, like like uh, scent experiences. So I think that's always fascinating for kids. But you can also grow things like eggplants are really fun, tomatillos are really fun, cucumbers, tomatoes, especially cherry tomatoes. Uh, just be careful with your toddlers because they're like the size of a rubber ball. So just teach them to bite them. <laughs> then, you know, you could do blueberry bushes and raspberry bushes and grapes and things like that, that are really simple plants. Like when you get down to it, like they're not very challenging. Strawberries are really great too. They are very enticing to harvest. And when we can get kids to actually like get their hands in, harvest something, or, you know, the seeds that are bigger, such as like, uh, carrot seeds aren't very big, but they do like I don't know. They have a nice little size to them that I find my kids like. Same thing with marigold seeds, Cosmo seeds, kind of in that same vein. Any squash or melon seeds are really great. Beans, peas. Um, I'm trying to think of a few others that would be great off the top of my head. Beets or Swiss chard, they have a good size to them. They're not super tiny. So all of those to me, like my kids love getting a packet of bean seeds and just like poking them in the ground and putting them. And last year I just found bean plants in the most random places. So <laughs> it's a good laugh in the very least, but that is something that makes it really easy. And that's why like many teachers, I think utilize beans or lima beans or fava bean seeds because they are such a large seed that you can actually see the process that it's going through. So I really suggest thinking about utilizing those type of things. The final thing is to get books, like kid-appropriate books about gardening. I'm going to put a whole list in the show notes because I could go through the list, but it makes no sense until you really look at them. But these gardening books are really a great way to start that curiosity to get people excited or get these kids excited uh, about growing their own food. There's quite a few of them uh, that are really you know different ages that they can hit, which is great. One of my favorite is um, up in the garden, down in the dirt, I think it's called. And it's like this very like poetic sort of like up and down story. There's a whole series of these books, but I love the garden one particularly, um, just because it's, <laughs> I have these thoughts and I love that it walks through a season. I think that is such a great way to start putting this curiosity in front of kids and this selection of books I think is really helpful. So it's ones that my kids love and I and or I've added to our life. So, but like I said, growing a garden with kids is, doesn't have to be complicated. It can be very simple. You can do it with some pots. You can do it with just one raised bed. It doesn't have to be complicated, but I think you will find that when you do this, maybe initially your kids may not be super invested in it, 
But I think this routine over time of just even watching how flowers bloom can be absolutely powerful. So for most kids, and they find such a deep passion for it and they will overpick all your flowers that you have. Um, that is definitely for sure. So grow things that need to be pruned, <laughs> like zinnias and cosmos, they enjoy it. So those things are always wonderful to grow, but I hope this is helpful. And don't forget to check the show notes for all the different links and everything that I suggest throughout this episode. As always, I'll see you out there, friends. Have a wonderful week. 